Greetings, brethren. I hope all of you are having a wonderful day of atonement, this fifth step in God's great plan for salvation for mankind. We serve an intelligent God, and He deals with us in an intelligent way, and He's given us these seven annual festivals to keep us constant in mind of His great plan of salvation for all mankind. And what we want to remember, we have to constantly review. So we're here today celebrating the Day of Atonement, which means it's a, each one personally will have a part in this Day of Atonement. And we are happy and thankful for that. So in Proverbs chapter 9, if you'll turn to Proverbs 9, we begin to look at what God says in the Scriptures. In verse 9 of Proverbs 9, Give instructions to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So when you begin to teach somebody who is wise, they learn from that teaching. So each holy day, we learn more about God's great plan for us. We tend to grow in that knowledge and understanding on each of His holy day. Now, this is my 48th day of atonement. And each day of atonement, I learn a whole lot more about God's plan for us. Now, verse 10, the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. So that's the starting point of wisdom and understanding. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of God, the holy time, His plan, the holy Sabbath is our understanding. So as we go through these holy days, we learn more and more about God's great plan of salvation all the way from Passover to the last great day. So God is... Merciful to all of us by selecting us to understand the Day of Atonement and what it means to each one of us personally. In Leviticus chapter 16, if you'll turn back Leviticus 16, Leviticus 16, verse 29, Leviticus 16, verse 29, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether native or your own country, a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all of your sins before the Eternal. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest before you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statue forever." So we're coming here not dreading the Day of Atonement, but it's the time that we are to afflict ourselves. We are to chasten ourselves before God. We are to humble ourselves before Him. We are grateful to Him for His great plan of salvation for all of us. So if we afflict ourselves and not think about the food that we're doing without or thinking about when is the Sabbath coming over so we may eat, we have to learn to afflict ourselves before God as, as God commands us to. In verse 32, And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes of the holy garment. Now that was given to the Levitical priesthood, which was Aaron was the high priest. Now, Leviticus 23, <clears throat> it lists all of the holy days of God. In Leviticus chapter 23, if you will turn there, in verse 1, And the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Eternal, 
not man's feast. It was not Adam's feast. It's not the Jewish feast. It's God's feast, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feast. Six days work will be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the solemn rest, a holy convocation. It's holy as we assemble today, as we assemble now. It is a holy convocation where God's present spirit is here with us, helping us and teaching us as well through the Bible. Then he says, you shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. And these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Then it talks about the 14th day of the Passover. Then it, then it talks about the days of unleavened bread. Then Pentecost. Then trumpets. Then he comes down to verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath. Uh, rest a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a ho- holy convocation, which we just observed and understood. At that day pictures, that day pictures us that Satan is losing out, that Christ is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the eternal. As, uh, as Moses here is instructing the children of Israel. Now verse 28, and you shall do no work on that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the eternal your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. So it's important that we understand that we are to afflict ourselves on this day. We are to chasten ourselves and beat down that self, get rid of the vanity and the pride, and, and just go over our station in life, how we've lived since the last day of atonement. And Christ, our high priest, is he's our high priest, and we are at one with him. The church of God is becoming more and more at one with the Father. As we grow in this grace and knowledge and understanding, as we're able to be taught by his teachers, then God will bless us all. So any person who does not work on that day or who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It should be a statute forever throughout your generations. You see, it's something that's been ordained forever. Then verse 32, it shall be your Sabbath. It shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate the Sabbath. And God tells us, commands us to celebrate. This is a feast day for us. It's not a feast of food, but it's a feast that we can be with God, become more at one with Him receive more of His power and more of His Holy Spirit to come out of this present evil world that you and I are living in. So He puts His church, God does, on a fast before the Feast of Tabernacles. And we are to fast before then because there can be no tomorrow's world without this day, the fulfillment of this day. There can be no tomorrow's world. So this day must be fulfilled first. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 6. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. 
when Jesus said, speaking to his apostles, verse 24, no one can serve, see, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I remember the first time I heard the truth. I fought it. I didn't want to give it up. I did not want to serve the truth. I wanted to continue the way I was, staying in this present evil world. But God called me out of it and taught me about his world that's coming. And so I don't serve Satan anymore. I don't serve this world anymore. I serve God and the world that is coming. And I know you are, you do too. So we Christians are not cut off from God. The world is cut off from God because of sin. Adam chose to sin. Then the, speak, uh, the Bible speaks of three worlds. The world that Adam to Noah was called this, uh, the world that then was, which God had to destroy because of the wickedness. Then we're talking about this present evil world that you and I are living in, which we're not part of. We have access to God's Spirit who helps us to come out of this world of Satan's out of under his influence, out of under his control. And so we understand that we're not cut off from God's uh, spirit. So without this vital contact with God, the world is in total ignorance of God's plan for man, for man's heritage, for man's purpose, for, for his destiny. So God's way is to educate us about his plan for mankind. And he's an educator and he wants us to understand his purpose for mankind, why he created mankind. And he does this through education, as I mentioned and read in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Teach a wise man. You see, and he'll, he'll ever increase in learning. True religion is for man, man to become born again sons of God by resurrection. Now, Satan's religion is the blind man about his purpose. His destiny, his heritage, for instance, what Satan says about himself is true. See? But when he applies it to man, it is a lie. Satan is the one who wants to go to heaven. The lake of fire is, is for Satan and his demons, not man. Man doesn't want, uh, he's deceived man in believing that's where he wants to go, to heaven if he's good, the lake of fire and burn forever if he's bad. Satan is the one that can't die. Man can die. Man does not have an immortal soul, as we all know. But Satan has deceived this evil world in believing they have an immortal soul. And their faith is either heaven or hell, but that's a lie. You see, Satan is a liar. He lies about himself. Now, Revelation chapter 12, in the book of Revelation, we read a little bit more about Satan and his world and why God is calling us out of his world. And verse 7, uh, uh, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. He had no access anymore to God. He was thrown out, cast out in his demons. That servant of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. 
See, Satan is the great deceiver. A person doesn't know he's deceived. Only truth can be revealed to that individual to let him know he is deceived. Anyone in this present evil world, living in this world, is deceived. He doesn't understand God, His purpose, simply because they don't understand the holy days as God has given to His church. It shows each step along the way of salvation. And God's purpose is to save all mankind. God's purpose is to usher in a new world under the supervision of Christ and His saints to rule that for a thousand years. That's God's plan for everybody, and God is educating us more and more to understand that plan. So what a wonderful God we serve. Wonderful God who's going to give us the power. He's going to give us wealth. He's going to, we're going to inherit this whole universe one day. If we afflict ourselves and keep ourselves humble, not exalt ourselves, but realize God is the great God. He's the one that deserves all the credit. He's the one that's given us everything. Everything we have, God has given that to us. It's a temporary gift until the permanent comes. As um, all everything on earth is just temporary. And, of course, the real pattern is in heaven, which is which is uh, real. So in Luke chapter 4, if you turn back to Luke, in the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 6, verse, well, verse 5, Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain... Speaking of Jesus, showing him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment, in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been given, delivered to me, and I give it to you or give to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will only bow down and worship me, I will give you. You don't have to wait another 2,000 years to be the ruler. I'll give it to you now. All you have to do is just worship me. Become a part of this evil world that I am God of. So Jesus said, he just said, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And that's what this day of torment really helps us to see, that we are to serve God and only God. Not this world, not Satan's way, but God's way, learn that way so we can teach that way, live that way forever and ever. In John chapter 8, <clears throat> Jesus has some unflattering things to say about Satan. He knew Satan. He had created Lucifer who became Satan. He was given power and authority, but he misused it. It became evil. Instead of using it for good, it became evil. So at verse 44, uh, verse 43, John 8, Why do you not understand my speech? Jesus is speaking, because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So all liars belongs to Satan. 
the father of lies. He, he lied to Adam and Eve. They bought that. So it became, it became part of his world. The world started through Adam and Eve, and it became so wicked. They be, kept lying to each other, murder, you name it, and finally God had to st- put it to death. Now, Jesus said, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And it's the same way today in the world as we preach this message of the good news to the world out there. Some believe and some don't. Some can't believe it being the truth. It sounds like the truth, but whether or not they obey it is something else. Whether or not they're willing to afflict themselves and chasten themselves and humble themselves before the great God in heaven who says, I am God and there is no other God. Satan is not. uh, He's the God of this world, of this age. It's man-made, but Satan-inspired age. He uses men to do his work. And he's a liar, the Bible said, and a murderer. So we have to come out of this world, and we have to watch about lying or exaggerating. You know, it's just unnatural sometimes to exaggerate or maybe tell what we call a little fib, whatever. But we have to be very careful that we only speak the truth, and that is God's truth to, to mankind as we teach that to mankind. Now, James chapter 4, and James, the book of James chapter 4. James writes in his epistle, a general epistle, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war is in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if we want to be a friend of the world, if we want to go back to the world and its ways and its deception, then we're God's enemy. As he said, if we make our friends, you can't serve two. You can't serve two. I know when I counted the cost about 40-something years ago, 48 years ago, I counted the cost that I would give my life to Jesus Christ, that he could do whatever he wanted to with it. And I wanted the truth. I wanted his way of life. And for 48 years, I've tried to be true. Not I haven't lived perfectly by any means. I've had to beat myself down, chasing myself. I've sinned. But God forgives. You know, when we judge ourselves, God extends mercy to us. If we judge ourselves, you see, mercy is granted. If we judge someone else, we're not given mercy. We must judge self uh, in order to, for God's mercy. And so James plainly shows if we make ourselves the friends of the world, the friends out there, we're God's enemy. And, and human minds do not like any kind of authority over it. It doesn't like God's law. It doesn't like God's Sabbath. It doesn't like God's holy days. They make fun of it. They call it Jewish. Christ did away with it. And all of these things. I remember one time this individual told me, he said, you know, Christ did away with the Sabbath. I said, he did? I said, he didn't tell me. Did he tell you? Because the Bible plainly shows it is to be kept holy, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But um, 
somehow people want to fight that Sabbath day or fight the holy days and because they don't want to be taught. They want to remain a friend of the world. But one day, you see, when this God is removed, which this day pictures, it will be the happiest day that this world has ever seen when Satan the devil is finally removed as God of this age. And a new age will be ushered in by Jesus Christ and His saints, those who have been faithful to His Word and live His Word and have come out of this world of Satan, so not being part of that world. Even though we live in it, we don't have to be a part of it, a part of its way. So he goes on here and shows, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this Day of Atonement is an excellent time for more prayer, more study, drawing closer to God, preparing ourselves to go to the Feast of Tabernacles and have a wonderful festival there at the Feast. But today, you see, we are humbling ourselves before God, praying for the day when this day will be fulfilled, when Satan is bound and he cannot deceive mankind anymore. We're praying for that day, the fulfillment of this day, the fifth day in God's great plan of salvation for mankind. So the God of this world has to be removed before Jesus Christ. When he comes, he will remove him. And there will only be one God to be worshipped, and that is Christ. He will be King of kings and Lord of lords. He will be the sole ruler when this day is finally fulfilled. And we look forward to that time. So God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, a person who's beaten himself down, who is chastened, who is teachable, realizing he doesn't know anything except what God has taught him. And we know we all have to be taught how to be a Christian. We all have to be taught how to live as a Christian. We don't know. We have to be taught that. And we learn more about that each Sabbath day. We understand and learn about our faults and our weaknesses. And God helps us to overcome them. He knows that we're imperfect, but he looks at the heart. He looks at the attitude of the individual. Is that individual striving to become more like me? Is he striving for me to be as God? See, And they're pulling for us. God wants all of us to be in his family. There's not one single person God created to be lost. The lake of fire is not for mankind. It's for Satan and his demons. Satan would like for all of us to go to the lake of fire. And that way he would still be in control. But it's not going to happen. God's plan of salvation points that out to us. Now, he said, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, he says, therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to his government. Submit to those who have been appointed our teachers. Submit to that, uh, that, that, uh, that power. Resist, see, the devil. The devil hates authority. He hates God's authority. And we have to always be watchful that we don't hate the authority that God has put over us. That we must submit to that. We must be teachable, see, to that authority, to that truth, as they teach us the truth. And so we submit to God. When we submit to God, we submit to the authority of the church, His church, that God is using to bring us all into salvation, being taught the way of which Christ is the head of which he gives us the power over evil, that we can come out and be teachable and serve and be a team. 
So we go right into the tomorrow's world or right into the millennial reign with Christ because we've come through the Day of Atonement where Satan has been put out. We're putting him out of our lives now by chastening ourselves before our God. Then James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, how do we do that? If we draw, well, through study of his word, obeying his word, living his word, see. That is most important. The way we draw is through prayer, through fasting, through meditation, as Mr. Meredith always said. Bible study, being a team, supporting his work, supporting his way, praying for his way, helping our widows and orphans and doing good to all all mankind as much as we have the power to do it. So we draw near, and He will draw near to us. First, we must seek God. Then God draws near to us. We seek Him with all of our heart and mind. It's like this day pictures to us. This day should be a time when we really seek God because we don't have to work. We don't have to do anything other than pray to God and seek Him in His kingdom first, in His righteousness, and get rid of any anything that God may point out to us that's hindering us, that we are to get rid of it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. A double-minded person is unstable. We have to be single-minded. If we're single-minded, which means then that we obedient, we're obedient to our Father in heaven, where the new world is coming, a new creation is going on. We're not in the world one day and out of the world the next. No, we, we understand that we have to come out completely out of the world, and God will, will receive us as we come out and strive with all of our might. Lament and mourn and weep. See? And I'm sure at times we've all cried about things we said and done to others and hurt others about ourselves that we have just cried before God, and, and God will raise us up. He's raised me up. I've not been before Him. I've had to cry and realize I made so terrible mistakes, and I've had to ask Him to forgive me. And He always there to answer that prayer, to, to help us to do better the next time. See, the next time. And the more we draw closer to Him, the more we understand who He is. The more we understand about our Savior. The world has no knowledge of the true Jesus Christ that you and I know. I remember one time that I stopped at rest stop for my wife, and I was sitting in the car waiting for her, and this man came up to me, and he's a nice-dressed man. He said, Do you know my Jesus? I said, I don't believe I do. Well, what does he look like? And he couldn't tell me. You know, I didn't know his Jesus at all. I knew the Jesus of the Bible because I was going to give a sermon on him that, that Sabbath day as well. So he said, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the eternal and he will lift you up. See, that's the key. If we humble ourselves first... Humble ourselves before God. He promises us that He will lift us up. 
that he will help us and guide us. Then he goes on, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Instead of us judging ourselves, then we begin to judge other people instead of self. And that's why we can't speak evil of others, because God is their Savior. God is their judge. God knows, He knows their station in life. He knows their inner thoughts. And our job is to help and encourage. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? We can't take God's commandments and judge somebody by those unless it's evidence. You see somebody drunk, you know he's drunk. You're not judging. You see the fruit of it. See? The intent of the heart we have to be careful about as, as well. So James is showing here the attitude that all of us must have. Now, First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 is he's writing to the ministry, to the elders. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Then he talks about shepherding the flock, take care of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. See, that's very important of respect, that we respect the elders in the church, the older people, the gray-haired people who've been through life hard, no, hard time. But we young people, I used to be when I was young, we just share mutual ignorance with other young people. They didn't have any experience. Uh, you necessarily didn't go to the older people who had, who have almost witnessed everything and been through everything. So he said, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. See, to be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Over and over you read that. That's something we need to remember. All the time, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. There is a time that God's going to exalt us, but in his time, in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. See, brethren, God does care for us. And on this day of fasting, as we cast our cares upon him. Some may be without jobs. Some may be going through severe trials and tests. Some may be desperately sick. But if we cast our cares upon God, he cares for us. And take God at his word that he cannot lie. That God is God, a God of truth. And nothing's impossible with God. That we are to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Then he warns us again, be sober, be serious, be vigilant, be watchful, be, be quick, see, to spot evil, avoid evil. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he be devoured. See, he's our adversary. We don't belong to him. We've been purchased from him. We've been, Jesus gave a ransom for us. He gave his blood that we may come out of this world. 
covered our sins. So Satan cannot get to us anymore. He does not live in the truth, cannot live in the truth. As long as we live in the truth, as long as we live in Christ, we're saved. And Christ has said that over and over. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we have to resist the temptations, the pain, the sufferings, the insults, whatever it may be, for the name of Christ, and be able to take it and count ourselves thankful that we are that we can suffer with him as he suffered for us, and he expects us to suffer for him. He died for us, and we are to serve each other. We are to serve him and help each other through the times that's going to come. Hard times are yet ahead of all of us. And maybe we're not prepared for all these things that are going to happen. We see Satan is angry. We see the weather patterns. We see all of these things that are happening, and we must be prepared all the time, to be in Jesus and stay in Him and ask Him for our protection. So resist Him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So that's the way we resist Satan, you know, in faith. <clears throat> so you see, brethren, this present evil world can never be at one with God, can never be there with God if we look to Amos, if you go back to the book of Amos, Amos chapter 3, Amos chapter 3, is a striking verse here, is a question asked by Amos in verse chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two people live together fighting all the time? Can two people walk together except they be agreed? Can we walk with God unless we agree with Him? Now, God is not going to agree with us. We must agree with God to walk with Him, to live with Him. We have to agree with Him, His teachings, His lifestyle, His way of life. That's what we want more than anything else. So this world is not willing to walk with God. This world is not willing to give up its sins. What about you? Are you willing to give up your sins? Are you willing to walk with God? Are you willing to just cast all those sins behind you on this day, get rid of them once and for all, and walk with God? It's something that we all have to think about. You know, I've, I've had to examine myself in, this, in these situations. If we turn to Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs 6. Now, God shows what He hates. And this is what we need to hate. He shows this. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud looks or haughty eyes. He hates that. And you see some of his intelligentsia and how they, you know, how intelligent they think they are and how they look down on everybody else. Well, you see, brethren, that's, uh, that's what we're talking about. They need to be humble, and one day they will be humble. They will be teachable. One day they will. They'll have nothing to look forward to. All their education won't matter. When Jesus comes, it'll be a new world, not this present evil world that they're educated in. A lying tongue. Nobody likes to be lied to. God said he hates a lying tongue. Why? Because it's Satan. 
Satan is the father of lies. And we need to think about that sometimes. Just ask ourselves, do we keep our promises? Do we keep our word? We need to think about that as well. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. You know, evil parties, evil whatever this evil where Satan would be or his demons. A false witness who speaks lies. And nobody likes that. Nobody. And I was thinking about the other day, <clears throat> Sarah Palin, you know, whether or not she had run for president or not. But she made a comment not long ago that, uh, oh, a few months ago, that she had fire in her belly. And I thought, how many of us would go through what she's going through if that's what she wants to be president of the United States? Her family's destroyed. She's made to look like an idiot. She's made to look dumb, uneducated. But how many of us have a fire in our belly for the kingdom of God to be a king and priest? And we're willing to go through the same thing to be a king and a priest. If we have that fire in our belly, if we can see ourselves now in the family of God, if we can see ourselves now in, the plan, uh, in God's great plan for all of us, so that's why that we are not false witnesses. We teach the truth. Truth sets people free. We don't try to force people to obey that truth. It's up to each individual. Each individual has a free choice whether or not he wants to come out of the world and God will be his God or stay in the world where Satan is his God. And I think we've illustrated pretty much, and I know all of you have thought about it too, just how evil this world is becoming just how evil it's hard to trust people you can't even go into certain cities anymore you don't even know your neighbor anymore and we just see the evil how they don't want anything to do with the bible any any authority over them they hate the ten commandments and we see the fruit of all that and that's the fruit of satan's world that we don't want to be a part of and one who sows discord among brethren. That's another thing God hates. And we have to be very careful and by sowing discord. Now, I don't know if you know what gossip is, but let me just explain it to you. These two women were talking one day, and one was telling this other one what she had heard. You know, what she had heard. And she was really going to town as dirt, you know, just a lot of dirt on this individual. And so when he fin she finished, the other lady said, is that all? I said, what do you mean, that, is that all? I've already told you more than I heard. So we have to be careful how that we repeat things, that we don't add to things, that we don't take away from things, you know, like God's truth. We want to be a, a true witness of God's truth and, and never sow discord among the brethren. So this world can never be at one with God, as we mentioned. God is light. God is good. Satan is dark. He's a God of spiritual darkness. Satan is evil. See, right opposite of God. His world reflects that. God's church reflects the opposite of the world. The fruits of God's Holy Spirit. And we need to be very thankful. So Christ has made it possible for a man to become at one with God. How? Through his shed blood. John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's will is to save every human being who will humble himself, obey Him to receive His Holy Spirit, a spirit of life. So we have to think about that, His shed blood. Let's turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, the epistle of John. In verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him. 1 John 1, verse 5, which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. God is truth. And in him is no darkness at all. There's no lies in God, only truth. God's character is one of truth, see. No lie in God. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, if He's in the light and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, who's the father of liars? Well, Jesus said of Satan. So if we walk in darkness, which Satan is a god of darkness, spiritual darkness, we lie. We practice Satan's way. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, in truth, as he is in the truth, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sins. Jesus has paid the ultimate price by his shed blood for all mankind in their time when they will accept that, when they will accept Christ's death, when they will accept then the life of Christ to live his life in them, for Christ to live his life in them. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth then is not in us. And that's why, brethren, occasionally, uh, sometimes for Passover, maybe every day we search ourselves to be sure that we're getting rid of sin. There are things that maybe we have no knowledge of yet. Things we do we have no knowledge of that is sin. And we can't until we grow in the knowledge of God. The more we grow in God's knowledge, the more we understand who we are. Then we can see how weak we are as we grow in that knowledge and understanding. So if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all the individual has to do is confess it to God and mean it and not worry about it. That God will cleanse us or He will make a way for us. He will give us the knowledge of it. And we can build the character, the character of God. By resisting sin, resisting pride, resisting these things that God hates. So if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say, and I don't think any Christian who's ever repented of sin says he had not sinned. You know, you have to confess your sins as time goes on. And when I was first baptized, I didn't have no idea how evil I was. I knew what I'd done, but I had no idea. It took a lot of work to overcome it, a lot of work to get bad habits out of one's life, to get the pride and the vanity, a lot of work and prayer and fasting 
to draw closer to God, and God has blessed me ever since. He will give you peace. This day shows that that Satan, the devil, the warrior that causes all problems, will be bound and put away. He will not disturb the world anymore. It will be over for him. Then the millennium reign of Jesus is when we go to the, uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles, and God commands us then to go to the feast after this fast day to rejoice in His divine presence and His wonderful truth as well. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Of sin. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. So what you see on earth was a copy of things in heaven, the priesthood, the temple, all copies temporary of the things in heaven. Now, Jesus is the better sacrifice, you see. He shed his blood in a new way, the original that we may have our sins covered with, with the blood of Christ, under that blood. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies, you see, of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, which gives us access today to go right into the Holy of Holies, where the Father is on the Day of Atonement. For the Atonement where we are at one with Christ and, and the Father. We're on the same page with them. We want to do His work, His will, help His church, help our brethren to overcome and grow for their highest reward. So that's why in the presence of God, as we enter in the presence of our Father, through the Holy of Holies, in the Holy of Holies, where Christ is, who makes intercessions for us and helps us because he knows our weaknesses. He knows what we are. He's been through these temptations yet without sin. He has feelings. He understands. And he extends mercy as well. Now, verse 25, Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered the most holy place every year without, with blood or of another. Then he would have not suffered... Often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice himself. So he has put away sins because of his sacrifice for us, his shed blood. So I mentioned the world is not ready to give up sins, but I believe we are, brethren. I believe we all want to draw, draw closer to God and his, as time draws nearer to us, that we need his protection we need His love. We need His understanding. And I know He will give it to us if we seek Him with all of our being. And so we must reflect over the past year of our life, since last day of atonement. Reflect and have we grown? Have we grown in love? And have we grown in more love for God's work? Do we still love ourselves, Or are we learning to love others better than self? Neighbor. Have we poured ourselves into our calling? It's always time for self-examination. Now, let Christ pointed out here in Luke uh, 
attitude that was uh, that he wanted us to under, say and understand in, in the Luke chapter 18. Now here's an attitude of two men. One was a Pharisee, one was self-righteous. One exalted himself, one to look down on the other. And Christ also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisees and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, see, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I thank you I'm not like him. I thank you that I'm different from everybody else. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But did that help him in at all? And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast in saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, that's all he could offer. He offered himself as a sinner. He realized he was a sinner. He judged himself to be a sinner in the presence of God. So Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And there's coming a time, brethren, when some people have exalted themselves and just exalt themselves. They are going to be humble. No flesh is going to glory in God's sight. <clears throat> they will be humble, as God says. So we're doing that today, in the Day of Atonement, that we're all humbling ourselves before our God. I know we're all talking about, uh, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles, preparing for that as well. But also we need to think about, in, in our private moments, about self. How can I improve through God's Word? That I'm going to the Feast of Tabernacles, and listen to the sermons, all of those sermons and sermonettes. I'm going to take notes and listen and let it change me because I've come through the Day of Atonement ready, ready now for that instruction, ready to be teachable, much wiser than I could be teachable, as Proverbs chapter 9 points out. Yeah. So there's no world tomorrow without the Day of Atonement as we... We went, just went through that uh, a few minutes ago. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 shows that Satan is losing out. The trumpet shall sound, you see. The dead in Christ will all meet him in the air. Satan is losing out. He knows he's losing out. His time is short. In Revelation chapter 15, 11, verse 15. All of those kingdoms he offered to Christ, you know, those kingdoms, he said, all this I give to you. Well, Christ is going to inherit them. And it will be a mess of Satan's nations that we will have to work and give the truth to. Verse 15, then the seventh, uh, chapter 11 of Revelation, verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Now just think, brethren, what you and I are going to inherit. What a mess that's going to be. 
how deceived people have been. Some have fought Christ. And we will inherit that. And we will teach them. And they will be forgiven of their sins. And they will know that they are sinners. And they will confess their sins to God. And God will bless them. And God will forgive them. So he said, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judged and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the first thing he's going to do then in Revelation 20, he's on his way back. Then I saw heavens, uh, the angel coming down from heaven, that's verse 1 of chapter 20 of Revelation, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon and that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. He shut up that seal. He sealed him of the knowledge of good and evil. That was shut up. And God's word will prevail in, in, during that thousand-year period. So in Matthew 25, what happened to those who, aren't, who were not become at one but with God? What happens to them? Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him... He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will gather before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as from a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will come, will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This group understood their purpose, their heritage, what they were going to inherit and the purpose of all of this. And he talked about, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see all of this? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. The least... Mount of service will go is not unnoticed by Christ. A great reward for those who who serve others, and just serve without thinking. They see the need and they do it. And of course, those on his left hand, verse forty-one, he says, "Then he will say also to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, because they were never did become at one with God." So that would be their faith. They never understood what it took to repent, apparently, or they didn't want to. And they hadn't time, they didn't have any time for anybody. And so they lost out. And, uh, you know, they will burn up. So the Day of Atonement is a vivid illustration of the state of mind necessary for salvation. See? 
one of humility and godly sorrow. That's the state of mind necessary. And we read some, a little bit about this in the book of Ezekiel. We turn to Ezekiel. Chapter 20, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 40. For on my holy mountain, Ezekiel 20, verse 40, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Eternal there, all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me. There, there I will accept them I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices together with your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries which you have been scattered. And I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Then you shall know, see, you shall know that I am the eternal. Israel has never known that. He said, now you shall know that I am the eternal when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raise my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed." Then you shall know that I am the Eternal when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doing, O house of Israel, says the Lord. You see that state of mind that God accepts? When a person loathes himself for what he's done, disgusted with what he, what he has done, the evil he's done, God will accept that. He will accept that sacrifice. Now, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 7. Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 7. For thus saith the Eternal, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, says, O Eternal, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and the one who labors with child together. Great thrones shall return. They shall come with weeping and with supplications, and I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which uh, they shall not stumble, for I am the father of Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So we see then after Satan is bound... When God leads His people out of captivity, they will actually just abase themselves, chasten themselves, loathe themselves for what they've done to their God in heaven above. And God knows that. God is a forgiving God. He allows people to make their own mistakes. He allows nations. But in the end, God has a plan for all mankind if they will accept it and if they will do what He wants them to do. And finally, we go to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. In verse 9, we see verse 6. We begin to see a little glimpse into the millennium. It talks about the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopards shall lie down with the young goats. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion will eat, shall eat straw like an ox. Nurse and child shall play by the cobra hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the vipers then. Vipers then, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as water that covers the sea. So you see, the Day of Atonement is very important to us. And now we go on to the millennial reign. We go to the Feast of Tabernacles rejoice with this knowledge that God has given to us. So I hope all of you have a wonderful day today and also enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles that God has invited you to.